morning church family it is a pleasure to stand uh, in those shoes of pastor Karavo this morning he's not with us he is uh, going to attend a missions conference there in Gauteng um, this morning uh, I want to thank you for coming to to do the great thing the right thing to uh, attend fellowship and uh, uh, learn uh, together from the from our God uh, we are going to talk about one very interesting uh, topic to me what God requires of you as a believer what God requires of me as a believer our text is going to come from uh, the prophet Micah chapter 6 from verse 1 to 8 before we read uh, the scriptures let us pray Father we come before your presence with thanksgiving in our hearts your word is a light uh, to our path your word is a lamp your word leads us the way you have exalted your word you have exalted your name and O oh God you say your word accomplishes that which you purpose your word is like hammer your word is like fire Father, we just pray this morning that you might unravel what you would like us as a church to learn from you this morning. For we have prayed in Jesus' name, O oh Lord. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to that minor prophet uh, called Micah. If you open your Bibles almost to the middle uh, after the major prophets, the major prophets are Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, and Ezekiel. Those are our major prophets. Then there are also 12 uh, minor prophets. In one of those 12 minor prophets, you will find your, in, 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 in your Bible is Micah. If you found it, we'll read together. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord is a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, my people. Remember? what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, 
that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with bent offerings, with cows a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? This is the scriptures from prophet Micah. Our text this morning is a court scenario. It is recorded for our learning by this prophet. He may be minor when we refer to them as minor, but the message is not minor. Um, we might want to find out who is Micah. This is a shortened form of Micaiah. And the word Micah actually means who is like Yahweh. He is a prophet who is identified by his hometown. If you read the first uh, sentence uh, in the book of Micah, as he identifies himself, some are identified as son of so on, son of so on. Mm. But Micah identifies himself as is identified by his hometown, which is Moresheth. So he's a prophet who existed during the reigns of uh, kings, Jotham, Az, and Ezekiah. Much we read about Ezekiah because he had uh, 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 interactions with the prophet Isaiah. So that helps us to understand that Micah also lived during that age when the prophets Isaiah had been there. Prophet Micah, he had a message for the two states of Israel. They were uh, for the two states, Judah and Israel. Remember when the 12 tribes broke into Judah and what is known as Israel. Two tribes moved to become what was known as Judah, and the ten tribes, the northern tribes, to be known as Israel. So Judah, its capital city, was Jerusalem, and uh, Israel, its capital city, was Samaria. So this prophet, Micah, he has got a message for both Judah and Israel. So he has got a message for Jerusalem and Samaria. He spoke truth. If you go a brief rundown of the book written by Prophet Micah, you will see that uh, he spoke truth to power. He spoke tr truth to leadership. He never minced his words. He exposed wickedness. He also confronted false prophets and he rebuked them. This you will find when you read chapter 1, chapter 2, as you read the book of 
of, of Micah. It's very interesting in the way he, he stands for justice. It's very interesting. And I'm sure if the leaders of this uh, uh, world were to read the book of Micah, it would really bring them into line as to how they must uh, uh, lead. Micah, I think, to me, he is famous for his exact prediction of the virgin birth, the location of the birth of Christ. In chapter 5, verse 2, he predicts what we often read every year and but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel. This is what is ascribed to have been said by Prophet Micah as he prophesied. So you can see, Prophet Micah, there's a lot that we can learn from, especially when the Lord allowed this book to become part of the canon. In other words, he was inspired. Uh, Prophet Micah is, is inspired today that when we uh, uh, read the book of Micah, the scripture that many of you who have been reading are aware of that we'll talk about towards the end, verse 8, what the Lord requires of you. When we read the book of Micah, we remember him by that scripture. To me, I remember him by that scripture because it is very vivid. It gives, us, it gives us an answer as to what God requires of us. Well, let's go back to the court case that we are going to study together as we move on. The court case that is addressed here is a trial scene which includes the plaintiff, the one who has been wronged, who has laid the charge. In this case today, the plaintiff is the Lord. There's a messenger who's going to stand on behalf of the plaintiff, and that messenger is Micah. There are witnesses that are in this court, and the witnesses there are mountains. They are hills. They are the very foundations of the earth. The defendant in this trial is Israel. Israel stands accused. In the King James Version, they talk of a, a great controversy. There's a controversy. There's a charge that is to be placed uh, on Israel. Israel is the defendant. The command, as we read, chapter 6, verse 1, listen to what the Lord says, how it, it starts. Listen to what, this is Micah, prophet Micah now. Listen to what the Lord says. And then the Lord addresses prophet Micah, stand up. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. This is the Lord speaking to Micah, addressing Micah. The command stand up is addressed to Micah. The prophet is addressed by God and is commissioned to represent the Lord's grievances. The Lord has got a grievance and is commissioning uh, prophet Micah to do that on his behalf. In verse 2, Micah is going to carry out this mission. Uh, Hear, O mountains, is Micah speaking, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord is a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against 
uh, Israel. Micah is carrying out this mission and he summons the, the witnesses. He summons the mountains, which are the oldest parts of the earth, everlasting foundations, the pillars that anchor it. He summons the whole of God's creation. In other words, he's looking at the heights uh, and depths to hear as witnesses. This brings me at one point in time when the Lord was entering uh, uh, Jerusalem during the triumphant entry and the people were happy and they were singing and uh, uh, celebrating that Hosanna to the Lord who is coming. Some of the Pharisees, those, those, those learned guys, they said to him, tell your, your disciples they are blaspheming. They must stop what they are saying. And you know what the Lord said? If I stop, if you tell me to stop, if they stop, instead of them, these rocks are going to start praising me and singing Hosanna to the Lord. And when I was going through there and I, I, I listened there and I say, uh, uh, the Lord is calling to attention the mountains, uh, the hills, uh, the very everlasting foundations of the earth those unchangeable things that have existed more before us uh, as witnesses to come and, be, uh, uh, and, and become a jury to come and listen to what the Lord's grievance was with Israel. So we see that this is something very, very uh, 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 profound. It must catch our attention and look at the Lord presenting the case now. In verse 3, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. The Lord opens the case and addresses the people through the prophet. The Lord personally confronts Israel. In other words, look at the wedding here. It is the Lord speaking to Israel, speaking to the people, my people. Now when we talk of my people here, we are talking of both the people of Judah and the people of Samaria to become Israel. The Lord, this prophet like we introduced, he was a prophet who was sent to talk to, 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 to both states. And in his address, he's addressing both Judah and Samaria. He's addressing God's covenant people. My people. And you can see how the Lord still refers to both the breakaway the, uh, tribes together. He still refers to them like a father. My people, what have I done to you? This is a defensive question to protect uh, the Lord's innocence. It's, it's a defensive question really. That what, what have I done to you? My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? You know what was happening in Israel? Israel was thinking that he had a legitimate complaint against the Lord. This is a court case. The defendant, he thinks he has got a legitimate case against the Lord for probably inflicting intolerable burdens uh, on her and then probably rejecting the sacrifices which she was offering in worship. We are saying here, Israel thought he also she had a case in this trial. She, what was going on 
during this time. This is happening, this scene is happening around between somewhere there, 600 to 700 B BC. Like we said, uh, Prophet Isaiah is existing about 800 years before Christ. This scenery, as we are talking about here, it's happening around those years, 600 to 700 BC there, before Christ. But during this time, if you look at the events that were happening there, the Assyrians were constantly inflicting harm on the nation Israel. The Assyrians were fighting and they were a, 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 the, the powerful force. And that brought the children of Israel to be under distress, to be under duress. Perhaps they are also looking at it and saying, we are burdened. And, and, and they've got a case against the Lord. They too have got a case against the Lord. And their sacrifices, which were not being acceptable to the Lord. Israel thinks she has a complaint against God. But the reality is that she has wronged the Lord. So in this court, Israel thinks she's, she's all right. But the reality is she has wronged the Lord. Let's proceed and you see. The Lord he stated this case, the charge. And as the Lord develops it now, verse 4, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, my people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. To answer the accusations of the Israelites, the Lord now moves on to tell the court, to tell the children of Israel what, how the Lord has dealt gracefully and mercifully um, with, with the nation Israel. The Lord recounts four principal events in Israel's history when the people were saved. The Lord brings them to attention to what he has done, the extent to which he has done uh, 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 for them to remember uh, how he brought them out of Egypt. Egypt was not a joke. To remove the children of Israel after those 400 days, to take them, to redeem them, to take them back uh, uh, to the land of promise, to Canaan, it wasn't a joke. And today, we still read about it because the Lord was pointing them to the marks how he graciously dealt with this nation how he sent them divinely appointed leaders he sent them Moses he sent them Aaron the priest and he sent them the prophetess Miriam to lead them remember Miriam would handle the tambourine and sing along and the whole nation would be blessed as they moved, as they walked through the land. So the Lord is saying, remember these things that I did uh, uh, for you. The speech that we read there from verse 4 to 5 is full of grace and truth and aims to reprove and to get back to uh, Israel to your covenant obligations. The Lord is, is pulling Israel is directing Israel to realize uh, uh, that they are still loved. Twice he calls Israel, my people, my people, what have I done to you? He 
the Lord still loves Israel. Although in this court case, right, the Lord has got a charge. But at the same time, we can see how the Lord is presenting the issue, how he loves them. The Lord justifies his accusations that instead Israel has wronged him in not retaining his love. Although they are reminded of the exodus uh, 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 grace, uh, the Lord wants them to see that he did this out of his love for Israel. God calls Israel to remember and experience God's presence and his saving acts. Israel is the guilty part. In this court, Israel is the guilty part. And then what happens? Something happens. If you read verse 6 to 7, there is someone who is going to represent the people, nation Israel, who is going to rise up and speak. Because this is, this is justice. In a court, there is justice. You listen to the plaintiff and you listen to the defendant. Yeah. Then you pass the verdict. The, ju the judge is going to pass the verdict after listening to both. Listen to what happens if you read very carefully from verse 6 to 7. There is an appointed person who is going to represent the nation Israel, who is going to rise up and say something. He rises up and he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with cows a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Reading at a glance, you might try to find something spiritual about that, but here is great blasphemy by someone who stands up to challenge the Lord in this court case. This unknown speaker representing the people takes up the legal dialogue and gives a counter-argument to what God has said. Here, this is a rap worshiper before the court seeks to establish the prize that will win God's favor. He's trying to show and establish there the good thing and, and saying to that eh, 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 perhaps the thing that God requires are impossible. Outwardly, he appears spiritual, but his insulting questions shows and reveals a very wicked heart. He is blinded to God's character. He does not need change. Instead, to him, God must change. He thinks he can buy God. He is sarcastic and maintains that nothing whatsoever can please God. Look here, his final straw, he says, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He was gradually increasing this, this, this request. If you read very well, he starts off by saying, eh, eh, what shall I come before the Lord to make you happy? Eh, bow down before the exalted. Shall I ca come before you with burnt offerings? Or with the cows a year old? In fact, he says, he, he wants, can, maybe the Lord may accept to him, he says, a, a, a better offering is it a, a, a year old bullock and then he increases he says maybe thousands of rams maybe you want a thousand sheep or maybe you want ten thousand rivers of of oil of olive oil and then he proceeds to the last straw that 
we know you are you maybe maybe for you to get your attention maybe you need my firstborn and this is wicked god never allowed sacrificing of firstborns he never allowed for people to come and present sacrifices of their children that text that we read in genesis chapter 22 uh, where the lord tasted abraham he never said that must be done by everyone no the lord is straightforward he doesn't want for people you know some people were sacrificing their sons to Molech, an idol that was worship the lord detested that so this is he is actually challenging the lord and being sarcastic that to catch your attention uh, in this court case maybe you want us to sacrifice our sons and the lord is not happy with this way this is not micah speaking by the way he's a representative of the of the of the, of, of, of of the people in this uh, uh court and god's response is what we find and this is what is going to answer what i introduced and said what does the lord require of you as a believer what does the lord require of me as a believer god's response to such blasphemy that is spoken uh, here he addresses the israel israelites now through the prophet Micah. most of the times as we were reading from if you read from chapter one to to, to chapter six the prophet Micah was mostly uh, uh, speaking to and addressing the leaders of the people and uh, accusing them of injustice and uh, telling them about the, the coming of the Lord to judge them. But here, when he turns to the people, to the people, to the whole people, the leaders included, the Lord now answers what he wants through the prophet Micah, verse 8. God's response is, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? This is the answer that God requires of the nation Israel. Micah rejects ignorance as the answer. He rejects ignorance as the answer. He says, God has shown you, you the Israelites who are in this court, God has clearly shown you what is God's will. God's will has been shown to these people and made very clear. Let's read to Luke 16, verse 31, and see what Christ says to that man who died. And he was in pain. Luke 16, verse 31, shows us what God's will is. If you are there, I'll read Luke 16, verse 31. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. God's will there is to listen to what God says. This is what God desires 
This is what God has shown his people. He has shown. He has shown. And he has shown even to us. Through his word. John chapter 5. Verse 45 to 47. When Christ was teaching. And what he said. To the. Uh, uh, what he said to the. Uh, to the Pharisees and the people who were listening there. John 5, from verse 45 to 47. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So he has shown you. You, the Israelites, God he has shown you. He has shown you through the word. He has shown you what is good. That will is what is good. There is no other good outside of God. So, what is good? God is good. Luke 18 verse 19. No one is good except God alone. So, God is good. God has clearly shown us through his word. Time after time. Day after day. The children of Israel were instructed even to write, to write on the doorposts, the laws of the Lord on the doorposts, so that each time, time after time, they would be reminded of what is good. What is good? God is good. God is good. And scripture is very clear. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So, who is good? When that, when, when that guy we read in Luke 18 came to the Lord and he said, Good Lord, what shall I do to enter the eternal life? Christ turned to him and said, Why do you call me good? For who is good? Only God is good. In other words, he had admitted. And Christ was showing to the people that what he said was correct. God is good. So he has shown you, O oh man, that which is good. The speaker is addressed as Adam. He has shown you, O oh Adam. He has shown you, O oh man. In other words, he's, the speaker is addressed there as Adam, referring to his mortal. Uh, he's a mortal creature before the creator. And he's subject to, to, he, he is subject uh, to the creator's definition of good. In other words, when he says all men, he's showing you that you are just a created being. For that reason, you must get your definition of what is good from God himself. God has created human life on earth. And as its creator, God alone can say what and how it should be lived, how we should live. In his steady, fast, and abounding love, he spells out the requirements to his people and like I introduced and I said, one of the scriptures that defines Prophet Micah is this verse. And to those who have been in the faith old enough, 
there is a song that is actually sung that he has shown thee, O man, that which is good. And what does the Lord require of you? There are three good things the Lord requires of you that perhaps you may forget everything. But remember these three good things that the Lord requires of you as a believer. Number one, the first good thing the Lord requires of you as a believer is to act justly. This is said, verse 8, act justly. To act justly indicates uh, the performance of justice in a court of law. Those who are into law, you will see that it is a requirement to be just, to be fair. So the Lord requires of us to act justly. When you are in a socially superior position, you must step in and deliver the weaker and the wronged party by punishing the, the oppressor. Here, we also see the, uh, the meaning that it is in God's, in God's design we must not take advantage of each other. We must respect each other. God requires of us to act just in whatever circumstances you might find yourself. This is one good thing that the Lord wants you to do. To live an honest life where you act justly. The second good that God requires of you as a believer today is to love mercy. To love mercy. Here anyone who is in a weaker position due to some misfortune or, 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 or other should be delivered, not reluctantly, but out of a spirit of generosity and loyalty. What, what it means is uh, we must uh, uh, love mercy. And hence one of those uh, beatitudes it says, uh, blessed are the merciful. And Micah is addressing a real problem here. This is a, a problem, really. If you read chapter 2, it's actually... Uh, 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 very, 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 it's a powerful chapter because these people, they were plotting evil on their beds at night to skin up people, to mutilate their flesh. If you read chapter 2 of Mike, how, what the injustice that were happening. And now, as he addresses now, he says, the Lord has taught you, you know it from the teaching that Moses gave you, that God loves you to act justly as the first good, the second good, to love mercy. Christian community is bound together with God and it is established between the poor and the rich, the weak and the strong, female and male, slave and free. Colossians 3.28 tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek. We are all one and we must be there for one another and we must treat each other with mutual respect. So the second good that God was making it clear in this court is that the nation Israel needed to love mercy. By the way, we are the modern Israel of today. In Father Abraham, we become acceptable. In Father Abraham, we become the modern Israel. So this is equally uh, being addressed to us. The third good that God speaks about is to walk humbly with your God. It means to live with God in constant communion, to be attentive to what God teaches, to watch God uh, as we walk uh, together and learn from him. This is, a living, this is living from God's word and turning our eyes on Christ and turning our eyes on God. If you walk humbly with God as the third good, it is possible to act justly. 
it is possible to love males. So in answer to the requirements of the believer, it is this threefold. You can forget everything else, but remember, God requires of you as a believer to uh, act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. How do we apply this in our lives? Perhaps you must be able to take stock. The children of Israel never realized that they never took stock of the mercies the Lord had shown to them as he moved with them during that walk in the, from, 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 from Egypt. And the Lord called them to attention to remember. Sometimes you as an individual, you must also take time to remember, take time to meditate on how God has been faithful to you. Meditate on the successes God has given you and, uh, uh, and see his end in your life. The Lord uh, has shown you that which is good. And that which is good is from the word of God. And as we have read about it, that the accused, that guy, the, the, the rich man uh, in hell, uh, actually requests that the Lord uh, send Lazarus down to talk to, to, to his brothers. But the Lord says to him, no, they've got Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got the word of God with them. So the word of God shows us that which is good, and the Lord is good. And finally, resolve to do uh, good. Resolve to act justly. Resolve to love mercy. Resolve to walk humbly with your Lord. And let me finish off finally with one scripture that helps us from Second John, verse 6. Second John, verse 6 uh, says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. May the Lord help us. May the Lord put this desire in us to desire to do these three good things, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord our God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for studying from the book of Micah. We know there's a lot to learn from. Thank you for this that you have opened our eyes to as we resolve to walk humbly with you, as we resolve to act justly, as we resolve, Lord, to love mercy. Please, Lord, help us. We know we cannot uh, win this battle alone. We need you to give us the strength to walk on. Thank you, God, for blessing us thus far. For we have prayed in Jesus' name, O oh Lord. Amen.